Today's scripture reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 through 26. Of these things, of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patience, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Amen. Today, and we're going to go to Matthew chapter 13 and consider in our next of this series on the parables a message I'm entitling The Kingdom Scribe. A scribe of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So this parable, and we'll read these verses in just a moment, concludes a set of eight parables that Jesus has been giving in Matthew chapter 13. parable of this very important chapter that, in a sense, introduces parables to us in the New Testament. Now, not that Matthew 13 is the first parable that Jesus given, gave, or even that it's, it's not the first parable in his teaching. 
We actually considered parables that he gave earlier in his ministry than Matthew 13. But at this time in Matthew 13 is when he started speaking primarily in this method, which is quite fascinating because nowhere else in the Bible do we really see parables anywhere else. So the parabolic method was perfected by Jesus Christ in his teaching. The kingdom scribe today. So let's remember that a parable is what? It's an earthly truth cast alongside an heavenly truth and it teaches an eternal truth. Now this parable that we're going to read is one of the most brief of all Jesus' parables. And it is only located in Matthew's Gospel in this place. And in fact, the last four parables in Matthew 13 are all brief and only in Matthew chapter 13. That is the parable of the householder. Uh, I'm sorry, the the parable of the, 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 the treasure hid in the field the parable of the pearl of great price, the parable of the dragnet, and the parable of the householder. These are the last four parables in Matthew 13 and only found in the Gospel of Matthew. So let's read this passage, Matthew chapter 13, and we'll read just two verses. And please read these verses if you have them there in your Bible. Matthew chapter 13, verse 51. Let's read them out loud together. Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Then he said unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. Now I've never preached on this parable before. Has anyone ever heard a message on this parable before? Even when in series on parables, I have books on the parables of Jesus. Guess what? They skipped this one because it's so brief. But I do believe it's a parable. It's the eighth one here found in this chapter. And I was, I was really challenged and blessed in the preparation and the study. And I hope that this will be an encouragement to all of us today. Let's pray. Now, Lord, take this time. And help us to realize that though there was a culture in Jesus' day of corrupt scribes who ultimately even had a part in putting you to the cross, Lord Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees, which were the hypocrites, yet there is a true kingdom scribe, a scribe for your kingdom's sake that would bring glory to you. And help us to be that kind of scribe, that kind of student and teacher of the Word of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're saying that a parable is an earthly truth cast alongside a heavenly truth that teaches an eternal truth. So the earthly truth of this parable, in other words, the earthly scenario, is there's a householder. A rich man with authority who owns his house And has many belongings in that house. And he has new treasures, it says, and he has old treasures in his house. In other words, he's a wealthy guy, so he has antiques. He's got old things. And he's a wealthy guy, so he's got the new stuff. He's got the new gizmos and the gadgets and the new technologies. 
So he has the new and the old because he's a rich, wealthy householder. That's the earthly truth. The heavenly truth is this is like, in the spiritual sense, a discipled scribe. And a scribe is a student of the Word of God so that he can teach the Word of God because he's living the Word of God. A scribe, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But a kingdom scribe of Jesus is seen here because Jesus said that a householder is like to a man who brings forth out of his treasures, old and new, And he's like a scribe. He's like a scribe which is instructed in the kingdom of heaven. That's why he says he's a discipled scribe in Jesus' eternal kingdom. Do you want to be a scribe for Jesus? (laughs) So that's the question. And then the eternal truth here is that the kingdom scribe of Jesus must have an understanding. And that's going to be a key word. He must have understanding in their role in the kingdom of God. So, let's consider this today. A kingdom scribe. Now notice that word I just used there. A kingdom scribe of Jesus must have what? Understanding. Now why did I use that word? Because Jesus introduces this parable with a question. In verse 51, what's the question he uses? What's the question? Have you understood all these things? And that introduces this parable. If you've understood them, then you can be like this kingdom scribe. So a kingdom scribe must have understanding. Now, it's almost, you can almost laugh at the moment when Jesus says to the disciples after he gives these parables, do you understand everything I've just said? I would be like, no, Lord, tell me, give me the interpretation of every one of them. But they said what? Yeah, we get it, Lord, we got it. And Jesus accepted their answer. He didn't say, oh, come on, you don't understand. No, he didn't even say that. He said, okay, you understand? This is what you'll be like, a scribe in my kingdom who is like a wealthy householder. Oh, by the way, and I I don't want to lose you on this. i got to go back one, one quick second. You know what's really unusual about this parable? So we're talking about the earthly truth and the heavenly truth. Now, in the parables, the earthly truth is usually put before the spiritual truth. In other words, the spiritual truth last week was about a dragnet, and the dragnet spoke about the end of the world, right? The end of the world. But what was the earthly truth? It was a dragnet. Guy, the, the fishermen go out, put their net in the water, and pull the fish to sea. So that earthly thing is always put first in all these parables. And then the spiritual truth. But in this parable, if you notice carefully, it's, it's reversed. Actually, the spiritual truth is put first. He said, in my, if you're, you'll be like a scribe in my kingdom. That's really the spiritual truth. And that scribe in the kingdom is like an earthly householder. That's the earthly truth. So I don't know, I'm just throwing it out there that... Even parables that are so brief, and you might think, oh, there's not a whole lot there. There's something there that's unique. Jesus always makes you think in his teaching when you really look at what he's teaching. So he says, do you understand all these things? That's a question asking them this. Have you put everything together? 
Do you understand these parables as a whole and comprehend them as a unit so that you understand who you are in relationship to the kingdom of God? Do you understand that you have a word for the kingdom? which is like a seed. Do you understand that you must coexist with evil in this world and you will be like wheat in the midst of tares? Do you understand that there's a way for you to grow outwardly and internally like the mustard seed and the leaven? Do you understand the incomparable riches of my kingdom that you seek after and sometimes God will just open your eyes to see? like the treasure hid in the field or the pearl of great price. And do you understand there's an end coming of this world? And they said, yes, Lord, we got it. We understand. So why is this a key word? Why did Jesus even ask this? Because if you go back, go back to Matthew 13 for just a moment. And when Jesus lays out the purpose of the parables... The purpose of the parables was to divide those who understand from those who don't understand. Look at Matthew 13. He says in verse 13, I speak to them in parables because they see not, hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And and that's going to be fulfilled like by the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, by hearing they shall hear and shall not Understand. So a lot of people who will hear these parables will not understand and by their lack of understanding are demonstrating that they're not of him. And it says, verse 15, this people's heart is waxed gross. These are the ones who don't understand. Their ears are dull. Their eyes have they closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should what? Understand with their heart and should be converted. And that I should heal them. So three times it's the same word that he uses back in verse 51. Do you understand these things? He's trying to say, are you a true disciple of mine with a heart to hear the word of God? Because then in his first parable of this series, it was all about understanding the word of God. Because that same word is used twice in this first parable, the parable of the sower. So look look there at verse 19. When someone heareth the word of the kingdom and what? What does it say in verse 19? They, they understand it not. And what happens when you don't? What happens when you don't understand? The devil comes along and he'll snatch the word of God away from you just like that. If you don't understand it, makes no sense, makes no difference. I could care less. The devil will get it. And then at the end of this parable, when the seed falls on the good ground and brings forth fruit, look what he says in verse number 23. He that receives seed on the good ground is he that hears the word and what? He understands it. And understanding it, he does what? He brings forth fruit. Some 100, some 60, and some 30. So do you understand why this is such an important question? (laughs) Do you understand this? Do you understand it? Because if you don't, the devil's going to snatch it away. If you do, you'll bring forth fruit. So do you understand? That's an important question. It's a dividing line question. They said yes. Because just like you and me, we don't understand every particular of all these parables, but we get the main idea, right? And we do want more, and we want more understanding. 
And so, yes, Lord, we understand. Okay, so for those of you who understand, you want to be a scribe in my kingdom. And this question launches this parable. And so here we see traits of a true scribe in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it's quite amazing that he would use this word in this parable. He says, therefore, every scribe. Okay, you understand? Therefore, every scribe which is instructed in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking to the disciples. They will be like scribes. Do you you get what I'm saying? They're kingdom scribes. It's amazing that Jesus would use this word. Look up this word and how it's used in the New Testament. Almost every single time it's used, it's used of the enemies who were hostile and who hated Jesus Christ. But here Jesus, he takes this word off and he uses it in its original pure meaning. A scribe is someone who was an expert in the scripture, who studies the scripture, who seeks to obey and then teach the word of God. That's the idea of a scribe. And so the kingdom of Jesus needs scribes. So a couple things, three things this morning about a kingdom scribe. Number one. A kingdom scribe is a true disciple. Because Jesus here said, and I use that word disciple very carefully, because in this verse, Jesus said, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven. And that's the word often translated in noun form, disciple. That's the word used by Jesus in the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, or make disciples of all nations. And so Jesus says every scribe that is instructed, or if you will, I could say it this way, is discipled in the, in the, unto the kingdom of heaven. So we need to be disciples, true disciples. You know what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner of Jesus, and he never stops learning. A disciple is a follower of Jesus, and he never stops what? Following. A disciple is a lover of Jesus, and he never stops loving. A disciple is a witness for Jesus, and he never stops witnessing. A disciple is one who loves the Word of God, and he never stops loving the Word of God. A kingdom disciple. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you instructed as a disciple? a learner, a follower, growing, burdened with your sense of responsibility to make disciples. So go in your Bible, go to the book of Ezra, and he, many people would say that Ezra would be the first one in this class of scribes that we see in the New Testament. We see scribes as a class. Now the word is used many times before Ezra, But it seems that Ezra started, if you will, a group of people who were really focused on the study of God's Word, and they became very prominent in the synagogue worship that developed in uh, the captivity time. So in the book of Ezra, just go there. I just want to point out this word a few times. Ezra is after 2 Chronicles, and Ezra chapter 7, where Ezra was a priest, and he was a scribe, and we'll read that, and Ezra led 
the second wave of Jews who were returning from captivity to Israel. Zerubbabel went first. They helped build the foundation of the temple. Now Ezra is going to come in and, and teach the, uh, be a teacher of the word to bring a spiritual revival to the people. So in Ezra chapter 7, look at verse 6. It says, Then Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe. There's our word. In the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the hand of the Lord his God was upon him at the end of that verse. And now go to verse number 10, please. And it says, for Ezra, and well, read verse 10 with me. If you don't have your Bible open, it's here on the screen. We could all read it together. It says, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And then we see in the next verse, in the middle of that verse, Artaxerxes gave unto Ezra, and he's called the priest, the scribe, even a scribe of the words and of the commandments of the Lord. Look at the next verse 12. Artaxerxes, king of kings, unto Ezra, the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Perfect peace. And down again in verse 21, it says, I Artaxerxes the king to make a decree to all the treasures which are, treasures which are beyond the river that whatsoever Ezra, the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven. I just love that. Ezra, the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven. A kingdom scribe of Jesus Christ is a priest. A kingdom of priests. We are priests of Jesus Christ, are we not? With direct access to God, where we can bring our burdens and our cares to Him. And we should be scribes of the law, not corrupt like in the days of Jesus. But, but a true scribe who will seek the law of the Lord. First, not to teach others how smart you are, but to do it. The first reason why we need to go and read the Bible is so that we obey ourselves the Word of God. And as we obey the Word of God ourselves, then we're ready to teach others. A scribe. A kingdom scribe of Jesus is a disciple of Jesus who seeks the law of the Lord to do it and then to teach. And that, therefore, he makes disciples of others. A true disciple, a true kingdom disciple, is following Jesus himself, but is burdened that others will follow him too. Are you making any disciples? Help us, Lord. I don't say this is easy. But follow Jesus Get to know Jesus and then bring someone else alongside you and teach them how to follow Jesus too. Now, the scribes in Jesus' day had become so corrupt, had they not? Go to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. This is a message Jesus gives right at the end of his ministry during his last earthly week called the Passion Week. And notice his use of the word scribes in this passage. And I believe he repeats seven different times he puts woes 
upon the scribes and the Pharisees. The first one is in verse 13, Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. Can you read it with me? It says, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You could stop. Verse number 14, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And so he says it as well in verse 23 and in verse 25 and in verse 27. He says over and over again, you're blind. You have the outside of the platter clean, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Inside you're full of hatred and extortion and deceit and murder and all kinds of pride and lust. That's not a true scribe. You're, you're hypocrite scribes. Not the pure kind of scribe that Ezra was. And that Jesus Christ is going to have in His kingdom. Now, when I say this, by the way, I'm not saying there's an actual class I'm not, I'm not teaching that Jesus taught and the church does not have a class of scribes. But we should all be a scribe. Just like we're all priests. We're a kingdom of scribes. A kingdom of Ezra's. A kingdom of priests. But now watch this. And I had not seen it before. Where Jesus seven times says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. And he says the scribes. Woe to you, scribes. Watch this. Look at verse 34. And there's the verse on the screen. Can you read it with me? He says, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes. Whoa! Stop. <laughs> Jesus said, All these woe on the scribes? I'm going to send a true scribe. That's the disciples. That's the apostles. That's you. As you carry the gospel to your job, as you live Jesus Christ in your school, you're a scribe. Jesus said, Behold, I send unto you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Had you ever seen that before? Honestly, I had not seen that. That Jesus was going to send scribes. Huh? And it goes back to his parable. It's like a scribe of the kingdom who's been discipled. And now let's read the rest of the verse. He says, And some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. And so this is Jesus Christ denouncing the evil scribes of his day, but teaching that he's going to send forth a true scribe, a scribe of his kingdom, who will be true like Ezra of old, one who sought the law of the Lord to do it and then to teach in Israel the statutes and judgments. Point number two, a kingdom scribe is a true disciple. And not only that, a kingdom scribe has tremendous authority. A kingdom scribe is authorized by the king. <laughs> And has tremendous authority in serving God. Now, why do I say that? Go back to Matthew chapter 13. Because a scribe here is likened unto what kind of a person? In Matthew chapter 13, verse 52. This scribe is like unto a man that is what? What is he? He's a householder. 
And if you look at some of the other parables of Jesus, the householder is the Lord of the house. A matter of fact, in the parable of the, ta- of the wheat and the tares, the householder was a picture or metaphor of God. And often he is in other parables as well. In other words, the householder is a man of authority over the house. You know what the, the word, if you just break it down, the original language word, it's a house despot, a house tyrant, a man with all authority in the house. So it has the word despot in the Greek word. It's a compound word, house, a house despot, a ruler of his house. So... This kingdom scribe is likened unto a householder or the owner of a house who has all authority in the house. And there's a couple cross-references. You can look those up. Matthew 13, 27, Matthew chapter 20, where God himself is likened unto a householder in other parables. Now think of this. The scribes of Jesus' day One thing they should have had, but did not have, was what? Authority. Remember when they said about Jesus after the Sermon on the Mount? They said, wow, what a great message. He speaks as one who has what? Authority, not like those other scribes. You see? So Jesus is saying, in my kingdom... My scribes will recognize and live and serve with authority. And so I'm here to say today, beloved, we have tremendous authority in Jesus Christ. We have great authority as kingdom scribes. Because our king is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And I... McMillan says in his book on the authority of the believer, he says something so powerful, and I have it underlined here, that the right hand of the throne of God is what? The center of power of the universe. Now, in this point, I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 1, please. Ephesians chapter 1. And I want us to see the authority of the believer the great authority we have, seated with Jesus, far above all principalities and power. Well, go back to the, go to the scripture. I love this passage, Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm just going to walk through it briefly, beginning at verse 18. We're talking about the authority of a kingdom scribe. He says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Do you understand? There's that word. That ye may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints. And then he says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Now in that verse, and I have them up on the screen, there are four power words that Paul puts all in one verse. And that's unusual. Often these verses are used separately, but here, unusually, they're all put and packed into one verse. Power words. He says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power, his dunamis? To us word who believe. This is to us, according to the 
working, the energy, energizing. We get our English word from that word. Energizing of his kratos, his mighty power. So those four words are the power words. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And the same power he used to raise up Jesus from the dead, he used to save you and raise you from your spiritually dead condition. Because in chapter 2 it says, And you have he quickened who were dead. We were quickened and given life in Jesus Christ by the same mighty power of God that raised up his son Jesus from the dead. And then he says, He raised him from the dead and he set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So where's Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the throne of God. And I repeat, the right hand of the throne of God is the center of power in all the universe. Now, what we all desperately feel in this world and going through life is weakness. I feel it. Weakness. I feel weak. Getting older, not being able to change circumstances, not being able to sometimes see the things happen that I would like to personally see. Sometimes we feel weakness, but we have to remember our power and our authority as believers in Jesus Christ, no matter what kind of weakness we might feel. And this authority is not for a pastor, a deacon, or a special person in the kingdom. It's to us, word, who believe. It's for every man, woman, and child to have the authority of Jesus Christ. Do you believe? Say amen. Amen. Okay, this power is for you. So now notice... Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God. He's seated, which speaks of the conflict complete, which speaks of him having conquered and bruised and crushed the serpent's head by his death, burial, and resurrection. It says he's been raised from the dead and he set set him at his own right hand. He's seated at the Father's right hand. And remember what Jesus said. You know what I'm actually amazed with too? I'm amazed with how these parables go to the very end of the great commission of Jesus' life. Remember, because he says, as he commissioned them, he said, all authority is given to me. And he says, this is what you're to be doing, discipling others until what? The end of the world, which we talked about last week. So there's a lot of connections here, but the point is, all authority is given to Jesus Christ. Now here's my question. Where are you and I, and where are we as a church in relationship to Jesus Christ? Jesus is far above all principalities, verse 21, and might, and all the dominions, all the earthly rulers, all the kings, all the presidents who serve in the 200 plus nations of our world, any organizational group with power, any wealthy person with power in this world, 
Jesus Christ is far above all principalities, and that is Satan himself and all the demons of his kingdom and the hierarchy of evil that he later talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, the spiritual wickedness in high places. Where is Jesus in relationship to every earthly king and every spiritual wicked ruler in this world? Where is Jesus? Far above. Far above. And where are you? Where are you? in relationship to all of that. And where are we as a church? Notice what it says. And it says, He hath put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body. The fullness of Him that filleth all in all. So I ask you, I'm asking you again, where are you in relationship to all the powers of this world? Earthly rulers, kings and presidents, and all the spiritual wickedness in high places. Where are you in relationship to that? Well, where is Jesus? He's far above. And where are you? You're not next to Him. You're in Him. Because the church is His body. And that's one with Jesus. And that's why he says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, look what it says. He has raised us up together, individually and corporately, and made us sit together. Where? The same place where Jesus is sitting. (laughs) In heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. Wow. So what I'm saying is this. We share in His authority. We partake in the authority of Jesus Christ. We can claim and exercise the authority as a child of God in Him. The same authority that Jesus has over these powers. So do we. We're in Him. He's our head. We have authority in Him over the prince of the power of the air. That is Satan himself and all his demons. And we can take authority over Satan when he tempts us or tries to manipulate us or deceive us or accuse us. We must learn to take authority over the devil and his temptations when they come with flaming darts to put up that shield of faith and say, in the name of Jesus, I cast out this temptation and I ask you, Lord, to bind that wicked one. Take authority. Take your authority. The devil has authority. Remember when Jesus was tempted? He told Jesus that if he would worship him, he would give him what? All the kingdoms of the world. Jesus did not dispute that. Satan does rule in the kingdoms of this world. Daniel tells us so as well, right? But the amazing thing is, This world looks at what we do as so insignificant, but God doesn't look at us that way. God looks at us as the only institution on earth as a corporate body, and you individually, God looks at us as the only institution that exists on the face of the earth as over all the principalities and powers that are deceiving and lying and tempting and seeking to destroy every person in this world. 
There's only one plan God has to win the people of this world under the authority of this wicked devil. And it's you. Claiming your authority. and Living out your authority. And exercising that authority. So we need to exercise John Van Gelderen in his book, If You Have the Revived Life. Read the chapter on throne seat authority. Or get a book by John McMillan entitled The Authority of the Believer. Both are excellent. We must learn to exercise throne seat authority. So what am I saying here? I'm saying we must walk in the what? Truth and claim the authority of His Word. We must walk in the light and claim the authority of His blood to cleanse us from all sin. We must walk in the Spirit and claim the authority to Uh, We must claim His power, the the authority of His power. And we must walk in prayer, praying without ceasing and claim the power of His name. So this is our authority. It's the power of His Word, the power of His blood, the power of, of His Holy Spirit, and the power of His name. That's the authority we can claim in every one of our prayers and as we serve Him. Yet, in this world, these great agents of spiritual victory, these great realms of authority, right up here, His Word, His blood, His power, His name, these realms of authority, the name of Jesus Christ is denied by many. The Holy Spirit of God is dishonored and grieved. The blood of Jesus Christ is disregarded and mocked. His word is dismissed and accused of being full of contradictions. But we must take the authority of His word and of His blood and of His spirit and His name and go before God and serve with the authority given to us by Him. And this authority can pull down strongholds and recover people from the blindness of unbelief, can deliver people. So I'm saying that We have authority. I believe we could go to God in prayer and claim that authority, don't you? And we need to learn to do that. You say, well, what do you mean? I mean when we pray. We can say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I come to you. And I claim that I am seated with Jesus at your right hand. And I thank you for this position that I have in you, Lord. I'm not worthy to be seated with you far above all these principalities and powers, but I take this all by your grace. And now I claim your authority because I am cleansed by the power of your blood. Claim the blood of Jesus in your prayers. I am filled with the power of your spirit. And I love your word of God and your word is sweet to my soul and more necessary than my food. And now, Lord, I ask you, with, pow- with your power to pull down the strongholds of lies that are coming and attacking my mind. 
Lord, the, the lies of, of pride. Lord, the lies of fornication. Lord, the lies of, of adultery that are attacking my mind. Lord, the lies of immorality or the lies of the lust of the flesh or whatever it is. And you ask God to deliver you from them and ask God to bind Satan. And if you even get bold and in your prayers and if you need to say as Jesus, get behind me, Satan. You would have the authority to do that in the name of Jesus Christ. We can pray with great authority because we're in Christ and we're seated with Him in the heavenly places far above all the powers of darkness. So cry out to the Lord Jesus in His name and ask Him by His power and blood. Ask Him to bind the powers of darkness that work in your mind. Maybe you have family members or you work with people and their mind has been blinded by the devil. That's what he does. He, he blinds the minds of this world to keep the light of the gospel from shining. So the devil has them completely deceived. So we can go to God and say, Lord, the enemy is at work on my job. Lord, the enemy is at work in our city. Lord, the enemy is at work in our home. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, we rebuke that wicked one. And we pray, Lord, that you would bind every demonic lie that is attacking my children or the people on my job or those in my family. Lord, bind every lie and cast every lie down in the name of Jesus Christ. There's demons in this world that are deceiving people, that are deceiving our young people and tempting them to live out a a transgender life, for example. This is not of God. It's from the devil. It's a lie from the kingdom of darkness. And so we ask the Lord, Lord, bind the lying spirits that are seeking to deceive our children who are a boy to become a girl. Or Lord, our children who were raised in our family, and I'm quite burdened for mine. Lord, deliver them from the lies this world has told them that have caused them to go in a way that causes so much grief. And I'm praying as a believer with authority for the ones that I love. And I ask you to pray with me because we're kingdom scribes. The last thing is this. So I leave that point. As a kingdom scribe, we're to be true disciples. As a kingdom scribe, we have tremendous authority. And thirdly, as a kingdom scribe, we have a treasury of riches. A treasury of riches. Go back to our text. I am getting the point from our text. Not making it up. Matthew chapter 13, verse 52. He says, therefore, every scribe which is instructed, and that's what we're saying is a true disciple in the kingdom of heaven, is like to a man that is a householder. So that, that's the man who has tremendous authority. And then it says, which brings forth out of his treasures things new and old. So he has a treasury of riches. It says he brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. So this householder was a person of authority over what went on in his house. He was the head of the house and he had new things. And I mentioned before, he had old things. So perhaps he had family treasures that were old or antiques or older old coins and things. And then he had the new things, the the new things that everybody wanted that some people just can't afford. 
And so he brings this, this uh, householder brings out of his treasure things new and old. So what's the point for us? A kingdom scribe has a treasury of resources. I believe it says he brings out of his treasure things new and old. I believe that in the spiritual realm, the treasure is the heart. And I'll show you a verse about that in just a moment. But we have a treasury of resources. Where's the treasure? In our heart. And we bring forth out of our treasure. And what's the treasure? It's in our heart. We bring out of the treasure things new and old. Now there's a lot to unpack, even in that one little statement. But the point is, is we are rich. We have a treasury of riches to bring. We have a treasury of riches to bring forth to this world. Amen. We have a treasure, and and these treasures, and your scribe, are to be where in your heart. Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. Now, what's the treasure? Well, what did Ezra do? He was that first scribe. We talked about him. Ezra prepared his heart. Because that's where the treasures would be. To what? To seek the law of the Lord. The Word of God. And then to do it. And then to teach. Teach what? His own opinions? No, the Word of God. Now there's different ways that old and new can be taken. I understand that. There's too many ways for me to even go through here. But I believe the best interpretation is that to bring out of the treasury of our heart things old and new is the Word of God itself. And the old speaks of the things of the Old Testament, which we do not forsake. And the new speaks of the things that were going to be delivered by the apostles of Jesus Christ to the world, the things of the New Testament. And, you know, I think it's quite beautiful that Jesus is teaching this and Matthew's the only one who, who wrote it. He says he's like to a man who's a householder which brings forth out of his treasures things new and old. And Matthew is in, in himself writing the very first book of the of the New Testament that's in the New Testament. It's not the first book written, but he's writing uh, the, the Word of God. And Matthew may well be thinking of the old. And as he's writing, maybe of the new that he's actually writing. And no doubt, Matthew's gospel is saturated with the Old Testament. So Matthew brings things old from the Old Testament, and he's writing something new. And we do have an Old Testament, and there is a New Testament. And as, as it's often been said, and I like this little phrase, it talks about the New Testament is in the Old concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. So the New Testament completes the Old Testament. And notice, if, if I'm right in this interpretation and that the treasure is in the heart, that out of our heart we bring forth this treasure of the Word of God, what is our heart without the Word of God? The heart, above all things, is what? Desperately wicked. The only thing that can ultimately drive 
the desperate wickedness and pride out of the human heart is what? The Word of God. Remember, they questioned Jesus, the enemies questioned Jesus, and they said even of Jesus, what new doctrine is this? Jesus did bring forth new doctrine. The Apostle John says, a new commandment I write unto you. It's a commandment that's not new. It's old from the beginning, but there's an aspect of it that's, that's brand new because it's the revelation of the person and work of Jesus Christ in the flesh. The Old Testament prophesied of Jesus coming, but it was in mirrors and sometimes it was hard to fully see but now Jesus came in the flesh and he died in reality in history and he rose again in body and physical form and he's alive today and we bring out of our treasure things old and new to a world that's dying the treasure out of the treasures the heart and I'm almost done but I want to say this and it's important that if we're going to serve God as a kingdom scribe, we can't serve God with just our brains or just our feet. We have to serve God with our heart. We have to have a compassion, the compassion of Jesus and a heart. Robert Murray McShane, and this is in Ian e. Bounds' book, Power Through Prayer, he said, in the morning I was more engaged in preparing the head than the heart this has been frequently my error, and I have always felt the evil of it, especially in prayer. Reform it then, O Lord. Enlarge my heart, and I shall preach. We need to have a prepared heart to serve God. God doesn't need more people working in the light of human genius or in the strength of human culture or in the brilliance of human thought. It's not more brains that is needed, but more heart. We need a heart to serve God from our heart. And the only thing that will change our heart is the Word of God. So this is why we memorize the Bible. This is why we read the Bible. This is why keep reading the Bible. Keep reading the Bible. Keep reading. Keep hearing. Keep listening. Keep, keep it on your iPhone. Keep listening to it. If you've got a, some, some downtime, put it on in your earbuds. Listen to the Word of God. Just I wake up in the morning and I just put my Bible on and it, I'm listening to it. I'm catching some of it. Some of it I'm not, but I'm catching some things. And then I sit and I read the Word and pray over the Word. Recently, and I don't listen to podcasts, but I, I listen to a... I generally don't listen to like a whole pod. I just don't. I don't have that time. But I listen to little clips, you know, on social media. And there's a very popular podcaster... And like I say, I, I didn't listen to the whole podcast, but I mean, his podcasts are like two or three hours long. I mean, I don't know how anybody listens to them, but he was talking, though, about how there's no manual for life. Why isn't there a manual for life? He was asking. And he was like, you know, mechanic, car mechanics have a manual on how to fix cars. And if you go to school, you have books to teach you how to do being a doctor or an accountant or whatever. He was just going on. But then he's like, how come there's no manual for life? Can you imagine the blindness? It's like, duh. I, you can almost, as he was saying, you just want to shake the guy. How many, did you hear that? You, you heard? Oh, so it made the rounds. I think it went viral. Because it was like, hello! The Bible! 
It's our manual for life. And you're a scribe in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you and Jesus Christ are truly rich. You have, uh, you have true riches, a treasury of resources to follow and walk with Jesus. Let's stand together as we pray. Hallelujah. Help us, Lord. This world needs us, kingdom scribes, those who understand we've been truly discipled and instructed in your kingdom and in your word. Help us to be like Ezra of old, a true disciple, and help us to claim our tremendous authority. Oh, God, thank you for the authority, the power, the working of your mighty power that was required to raise us up from the dead and save our soul. And so, Lord, we claim the power of your word and blood and Holy Spirit and your powerful name, Lord Jesus, your name to which every knee will bow. And, dear God, we do pray as our poor city and our poor world is so broiled in so much hate and so much war and so much sin, And in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask you to bind these powers of darkness that are at work, blinding the minds of those who refuse to believe. We pray, O God, even if there's any evil spirits in this place that are deceiving and lying and and tricking the people right here in our midst, if there's anyone without Jesus Christ, we ask you now in the name of Jesus that you would bind that wicked one and that he would flee from this place and so that every mind will be able to see Jesus and love Jesus and that the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus would shine in every heart. Help, Lord. Do a mighty work of saving souls, God. As the end of the world is coming, your kingdom is coming, and we're the scribes of your kingdom with a treasury of riches. So, Father, use us, God. I pray that you would use every person here, and I know many, many love you. The vast majority of us here today desire everything that I've preached And so, Lord, use everyone to be a light of your love and a witness of your word, Father God, as they go throughout their daily life. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and who would say, Pastor Matt, yes, I'm a kingdom scribe for Jesus. This is my desire to live out as a true disciple with living, claiming my authority, sharing the treasury of riches out of my heart. Can I see your hand today? Yes, and just ask the Lord to fill you with His Spirit and the power of His Word to use you. And beloved, to pray. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Is there anyone who would say, Pastor Matt, I couldn't put my hand up, but I need Jesus Christ as my Savior today. And I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of putting off. But today, I need Christ. And I, I will come to Him. I will call on Him that He would be my Savior over from sin. It is only Jesus who will truly satisfy your soul. Is there anyone who'd say, Pastor Matt, pray for me? God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Now, Lord, I thank you for this day, God. And we do pray for this one dear soul. Put their hand up. That in the name of Jesus, that your Holy Spirit will come upon them. And they will cry unto you and call upon you. And that they would even be saved today by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name.
Amen.